Hi, it's Deboki. I'm very excited that you've tuned in for today's episode, which is an interview that Sam and I did with Hank Green. There's a lot of places that you might know Hank from. Personally, I go way back with the Vlogbrothers, a YouTube series he started with his brother, the author John Green, in 2007. But you might also know him for YouTube shows produced via their company Complexly, like SciShow and Crash Course. Complexly also recently announced a program with Arizona State University and Google to help students earn college credit through their YouTube series Study Hall, which I bet is something a lot of us wish we could have done in college. And if you don't know Hank from that, or from podcasts like Dear Hank and John or SciShow Tangents, you might know him from TikTok. Honestly, there are a lot of places to know Hank from, which is why I'm really excited for this episode. I've been Hank's editorial assistant since 2019, which means I've gotten to experience a small fraction of just how many different ways that Hank has explored using media to make the complexities of science accessible. In the course of working for Hank, I've listened to a lot of interviews that he's done so that I can understand who I'm working for a little better, which is kind of a fun, strange thing to get to do when it comes to your boss. But it was even more fun and strange to do one of those interviews myself and with Sam to talk more about his journey as a science communicator. All right, enjoy. Hello, Hank. How are you doing today? Ah, I'm good. Busy. Welcome to Tiny Matters. Thanks. I'm Sam. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. Thanks for being here. Uh, so you have a very big closet. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's like closet, but also storage. It's a multi-purpose space. It's and amazing. podcast studio. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So Hank, you and your brother, John Green, you guys were some of the earliest, I think, to the educational YouTube scene, maybe even to YouTube overall. And over that time, you guys have created a lot of free educational content. So we were wondering, what were you doing before you were a blog brother? Like, <laughs> what was your identity, your life? And then what was the inspiration for you to go into YouTube, yeah. especially when it was like so early? When I first started Vlogbrothers, I was at that time... I had many different jobs. I worked at a TV station doing camera operation and like filming city council meetings. So I was like the, the community access station in Missoula. Huh. I was doing a bunch of stuff for nonprofits, sort of helping them with their internet strategy, which at that point was very basic and like <laughs> also doing web design and database development stuff for them. And then I had my own blog that was actually probably the majority of my income came from that, which was hmm. pretty cool. That I, I, It was called EcoGeek, and it talked about sort of technological, like human-centered solutions to environmental problems. Like now looking back, it was sort of a push against a lot of the, what we didn't have a word for then, but would now call degrowth that I heard a lot among my, because I was, when I started that, I was in an, an environmental studies program. Uh, at the University of Montana. And now that's like a controversy that people talk about. But at the time, it was just sort of like, it was all, it was almost like all of those things were kind of mixed together into a pot and hadn't defined themselves as oppositional camps, which they aren't and shouldn't be, is my opinion of that. Not that we're mm -hmm. talking about that. <laughs> and so I was already kind of an internet creator of a kind at that point. I wrote and got paid to 
write for various places like Yahoo News and Treehugger and National hmm. Geographic Online, like stuff like that. And then I had my own thing where I monetized it myself and it was kind of similar to being a YouTuber in some <laughs> weird ways, except uh, there was no video. And I kept doing that for years after starting Vlogbrothers. And, you know, it was a really weird thing to make video on the internet in 2007, but it was also not that weird for me mostly because I had always been obsessed with the internet and mm. <laughs> making stuff on it since I was in high school and had had several different things that I'd created that had kind of gotten noticed more than they should have and ever mm. would have if there had been anyone else doing stuff. <laughs> and so when John said, Hey, I've been watching these YouTube videos. I think that it would be really fun to try it out. Uh, I just said, yes. And it worked, I guess, <laughs> in the long term. Well, that was the, ne the next thing, actually, that we were going to ask you about. So do you remember maybe the first moment or one of the first moments where you felt like, hey, this is actually succeeding? You know, did you go into this thinking, I'm going to reach millions of children and adults <laughs> one day and teach them about everything from ancient civilizations to organic chemistry? Or like, what do you remember about that time? I mean, it was, it, there were definitely lots of individual times where it felt like, ah, this is becoming a bigger deal. At that point, EcoGeek was still my full-time job. I was kind of wrapping up a lot of freelance web dev clients, trying to work less and less on that stuff and just do EcoGeek and Vlogbrothers full-time. And it was very incremental. And it was the same thing with blogging, where like sometimes you'd have a story get go big and you, you know, you'd know that you were going to make $500 that day. And that was going to keep the lights on. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas on YouTube, it was not, you know, there was no money in it for the at least the first 12 months we were doing it. There wasn't a way to monetize. And, and we didn't even really think about that. It was, and I think that this remains a thing for people who are who start creating on the internet. It's the attention. It's like, it's, it's the inspiration. It's the feeling of having your work be appreciated. And uh, we had several of those moments you know, people we'd never heard of and a bunch of them coming in or people we had heard of and respected saying that they liked our content or my dad sending an email and be like, this was a really good one. You really did a good, like you really understood. I love dad. Dad emails are the <laughs> yeah, best. I yeah. Love it. Yes. Yes. And then we, we, when we got invited into the partner program, we were like, oh, maybe there will be some money in this, but I don't ever really remember it being strategic. And I, I have never really been a strategic person like for long term, I'm like I'm like two months strategic. Mm. I'll, like I'm thinking about the meeting that I'm going to have tomorrow, and what might be being said in it, and I'm ready. And I'm ready for the various things that might be said in that meeting that I have tomorrow. But mm. <laughs> I've only very recently sort of had to think more on longer term scales uh, because that's important when you have a bunch of employees who need to still have a job a year from now. <laughs> yes. So in terms of things that were going on um, early on, were there things that you thought would be more successful in your early days of making stuff for the internet that just didn't land the way that you expected it to? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole, that's, it's <laughs> almost like the slot machine effect of it. It's like, it keeps you stuck. It keeps you doing it because the, the rewards are randomized. I I sometimes I think that nowadays platforms actually design the rewards to be randomized 
I'd be very interested to know if TikTok does that because it seems like it does. <laughs> but it's also just, you know, it's it's a stochastic world uh, and and system of initial activation energy and how it interfaces with algorithms, whether or not algorithms exist, like the person who is in charge of the thing that day is different. And so, yeah, lots, lots of times when I thought I was going to have a video that would do really well, that didn't do really well. But I, I think I'm actually pretty good at predicting which ones are going to do well. And also sort of like that they're going to do different work. I think this is a thing mm. that creators always need to know is that like different things do different work. And if you're only designing every single video to be viral, then you're going to have uh, maybe you're building a really tall, skinny tower. And I oftentimes think it's better to make sure that you're building that, that there's like more to it than just the reach. You know, you've got to you got to build deeper as well. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like a little bit of what you're describing are kind of different ways of succeeding. How much of that was stuff that you realized from the beginning? Or like, how much of that did you have to figure out as you were going along and building out the different types of projects you were doing? I think that that's going to have to come down to like a definition of success, which I think is really important to interface with. And really, it's things that feel good <laughs> in a moment. And it's also, unfortunately, not a thing you could like put on your shelf and be like, I did it. Look, here is success. And whenever I, whenever anybody, anybody wants to be mean to me, I still have this and it will make <laughs> me feel good no matter what else is going on right now. You don't get mm-hmm. that. I have now managed people a bunch. And what it becomes very clear is that different people are not me. And they <laughs> think that different things are exciting and feel and feel like different things are successful. So, so the things that I personally feel like in, you know, sort of make me happy and feel like I did a good are, you know, they're, they're, they're limited to my own like hangups and, you know, passions and curiosities. So like, you know, early on Neil Gaiman like blogged about, brotherhood 2.0 which was what we called it the first year and that was like that felt so freaking good because i think that i had like been to like that year i'd gone to see him and like been in a signing line and waited through mm-hmm. the whole signing line and then i got to the front and i got really nervous and then he, he was like talking about my videos so that like it's it's so weird the difference between having you know someone say something very nice about you and someone who you who whose books you enjoy say something very nice about you yeah and there's a big difference between making a video and seeing like sixty thousand people watched it and being on a stage and seeing two thousand people in the room with you and then also your brain gets desensitized to it and then it doesn't feel like success anymore yeah (laughs) a two thousand person room feels like a huge success to me but i bet if like taylor swift suddenly could only (laughs) fill up a two thousand person room Everybody would be like, I can't believe what's happened to Taylor Swift. <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible thing has happened. Yeah. I would still frantically be trying to get tickets. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I would really, I'd be really hoping to be one of those 2000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you just, you just kind of touched on this, but your role has changed a lot over the last decade. So you have a lot to manage, a lot of people who you manage. How do you balance management with creativity because you also still create a lot of things yeah i mean not well um the 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 reality is that i don't know if this is a 
brain thing. Like I have, I like, I'm not great at focus and, and running a business requires a lot of focus. And also like, I kind of also like, I have this thing over here that is like the Hank green creative stuff, whether I want to be writing a book, which I do or making TikToks, or, uh, you know, coming up with some new thing that doesn't already exist. And so that that's very fun for me. I'm constantly concentrating on that. And I think that that creates problems for the people who work for me. Like, honestly, I think, like I, I think that oftentimes I am a bottleneck and that's not how I want to be. Um, I haven't found a solution to that problem. Though. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like I see, I see the problem and, you know, I often, or we'll talk about there, there are like problems that are rivers and problems that are rain clouds where like some problems you're like that's a problem and we can build a bridge over it we can fix that Mm -hmm. problem and sometimes it's just raining so (laughs) so i like i think a little bit that that's just it's it's just the weather to some extent where like it is a thing that i currently am just living with and i hope i inspire my team enough to be honest with me that when i'm truly leaving an obligation on met in a way that would is, is really negatively impacting people that um, the voices get loud and they do, they mm-hmm. do get loud. So, uh, and, and I, you know, I tend to prioritize obligation pretty highly, but it's hard. And, and like, it's also been a huge learning process and I am better at it now than I was five years ago, but I'm still not great at it. It's very creative work and like, you know, building teams and building consensus and finding the thing that, everybody wants to do and that motivates everyone is tricky but like it's one of the most interesting puzzles i've ever have ever engaged with so along that uh i guess that line of questioning i work for you sam has written for scishow you i think complexly has become kind of a stop for a lot of science writers and science communicators as they're building their skills or building their resume or their portfolio Mm -hmm. So how do you think about your role in shaping the careers of the communicators who work on Complexly content? I think about that internally and externally. Like, I think that there is more of a world for it now. Here's what I think. I think that it's fractured a bunch. And I think that this is like a kind of like, this is a consequence of a lot of different kinds of influence fracturing, where sometimes someone will say like, who's going to be the new bill nye or new carl sagan or new neil degrasse tyson which is weird because two of those people are actively still working so i I don't know why they're talking about the new one um i was raised on like mr wizard because i'm that old uh and a little bit of beekman i was just i just missed bill nye as a kid and the idea now that there would be a bill nye is ridiculous, right? <laughs> like, just go on TikTok, start following science communicators, and they just continue to flow. They can niche into their specific thing. Like, there's archaeology TikTok, and there's ichthyology people, and there's uh, lots of astrophysics and space folks. And uh, that's really exciting to me. Uh, the The main thing that I want is for there to be a system through which those people can actually make money with their work, which is really hard. It's extremely hard when you're independent. And so figuring out those systems is something that I think about a lot. And it's also hard when you're freelancing. Freelancers, you know, they're they're like running their own business. And I did it for a long time. And the work of like, not just finding the work, but like 
finding the work that you can do in the amount of time that the pay will justify, that's uh, self-management, yeah. <laughs> like 101 through 501. You know, it's just like that. That's like some really advanced stuff at, at a certain point. So, I mean, I'm very glad to whatever extent Complexly is a part of people's careers. And I, I wish we could, oftentimes I wish we could do it better. You know, at Crash Course, we are doing a lot of really, really deep stuff. Um, but I wish we could sort of like be doing bigger things sometimes. But like, I also like really love doing a, what might look like a sort of clickbaity listicle that's actually goes really deep into some weird stuff. You know, like you, you start out with like, it, look, the title looks like it's just, you know, designed for everybody to click on it. And it's, you know, but you actually just pack it full of weird stuff about the universe. <laughs> Did one recently. I, I don't, I couldn't tell you who the writer is, unfortunately. That was uh, the five biggest magnets humans have ever created or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like, actually, this is really weird and complicated physics. And it sounds like that, that sounds like a clickbait listicle where you're just going to talk about like neodymium fridge magnets, but, but, you know, all of them are different kinds of bizarre uh intense electromagnets that are, are used for mostly just research like not even practical mm-hmm. research just like how hard can we push kind of research <laughs> what is the like what happens to the universe when you create a magnetic field this strong and then some of it's more practical or this like very advanced mris it's a cool oh. episode that is really cool i'm gonna need to go look for that after <laughs> yeah. we talk now um so i'm curious how do you see complexly shaping the sort of general science conversation versus, I guess we can start with that, but I also want to know kind of separate from complexly, how do you see yourself right. as Hank Green, well-known science communicator, shaping the conversation surrounding science? I That first part, I don't, I feel very much, uh, and maybe with the second part as well very much just part of the things that are happening rather than influencing Mm. the things that are happening. And that's never actually true. Like everyone is always part of like in, like in both ways, part of the thing that's happening, both in that, like Mm -hmm. you are just sort of doing what the thing is and you are defining what the thing is. Mm. Like that's, Mm -hmm. everybody's always doing that. That's how culture works. And, you know, it's kind of difficult to, uh, tease out what the you know the difference between those two things is, but to some extent, I think that complexly um, is isn't really necessarily pushing a lot of uh, stuff forward right now. Like I think that that's mostly happening in short form on TikTok with individuals, and what complexly is is more like what does it look like when you have a team, and that's going to change more slowly and it's going to look very different than what, what happens when it's just one person or a couple people. And um, I think that the things that complexly is defining that are, that's like most new are business models for how to actually fund it because, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't do this just on YouTube ads alone. Um, You certainly can't do it on TikTok ads alone. And (laughs) so like trying, trying to figure that out, um, I think is really good. And, and I've seen others with kind of strange ways of actually making it work. And one of the strange things that we find at complexly is that individual shows make money very different ways. The pie charts look very different from show to show. 
where SciShow is almost all ad funded with with a big slice from from Patreon. Crash Course is a lot of grants and a lot of crowdfunding and very little ad funding because we ask for a lot of money and don't get it usually. <laughs> we have, you know, our show Bizarre Beasts is like a lot of merch funded because it has a pin subscription. Uh, yeah. And it's just weird how it all, yeah, how it all falls out. And I know that that's true for other YouTubers as well, where their businesses look quite different from ours. And so I think that there's a, like, there hasn't been a settled way to figure it out yet. But anyway, um, I hope that what we are doing is influential. I can't tell if and <laughs> when it is. I do feel more <laughs> like that is the case with TikTok. But I will say I came onto TikTok and I was like, I don't think that you could do science communication on TikTok. And then I like signed up, watched some TikToks. It very quickly identified me as a big nerd and started showing me science TikToks. And I was like, ah, I am so wrong and need to apologize <laughs> to anyone. Like I need to email anyone I said that to uh, and apologize. And it was very inspiring to see the ways that people were. Because at that point, I think that TikToks were mostly limited to one minute long. Um, the ways that people were getting useful amounts of context and information and like actually building knowledge, not just like sharing facts, but building knowledge in less than a minute. Yeah. What was it you thought about TikTok that wouldn't work well for science communication? I mean, initially, I thought that you can't do it that fast. Mm. <laughs> I, like, you know, there, there's Even compared to like a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of think that you can't do it in a tweet. I think that. Yeah, fair. I, like, I think that you can you can do it in a thread. Because um, mm-hmm. well, I don't think that knowledge gets built by facts. I think it gets built mm-hmm. by the relationships between true things is really yeah. what knowledge is it's not the true thing it's the it's the 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 commonalities that they share it's the it's the causality between them and that actually is a story you have to tell to understand why like this thing is related to this thing or like why you know like how how this story progressed and like you understand blood types a lot better when you find out that the first person who tried to do blood transfusions was like Sometimes this works great and sometimes things just die and we don't really know why. And I put a lot of different people's blood into me. And like when I put Susan's blood into me, it's great. When I put Jeffrey's blood into me, I get very sick. <laughs> like that, that's so much more interesting, you know, than being like, there are blood types. It's like, well, what mm-hmm. happens? I hear you saying that, but what happens if like, if I'm a positive, I put, you know, B positive blood in me. So what I'm hearing is you're going to make a video where you do this. You're going to get the wrong blood. Type. All right. We're going yes, to do a high budget one where the the true cost is the medical bills. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that's like a lot of ads, a lot of crowdfunding to like help you out of that. Yeah. Um, the insurance now, alone. Yeah. We used to have a Patreon. Now we have a GoFundMe. Yeah. <laughs> um, you outside of Complexly. Obviously, sometimes the content that you might cover, I think there's a a lot of overlap with what shows on Complexly would cover, but there are also things, maybe bits of misinformation, like some other stuff that Complexly might not go after, but you as an individual might decide to go after. Mm -hmm. How do you make that decision? Oh, it's really based on whether I think I have something interesting to say. Um, Mm. And... One of the things that that we 
that doesn't get said a lot in science communication and that we don't do a lot of complexity, but I do a fair amount on TikTok is say like, we don't know, <laughs> like not <laughs> like, I don't know, not, uh, you know, you and I don't know, but like humanity doesn't know the answer to that question. And like, mm. we have some guesses. And I think that that's like a part of science communication that needs to be leaned into more. I see it. Like, it's not like it's not out there, but I think that like leaning into that is actually really great. Another thing that I've done occasionally is invited people into the process where mm. it's like, I got asked a question. I know a couple of things about that. That's going to help me Google well. Like, I know enough about that that I have a search term. And that's that's it. And so now I'm like doing a search. I'm trying to find primary research. I'm trying to like read some titles to papers. I'm probably not going to read the whole paper, but I'm going to read that abstract. But if that abstract's really interesting and I'm like, oh, this methodology is actually really weird. Like you don't know where you're going to get led. And so walking people through the process of like, I'm going to tell you, like in a normal video, I'll just tell you the interesting story, the most interesting part of the story that I found out. But actually saying, I don't know the answer to that question. Let's try and figure it out together. I think that's really cool. And those videos actually do really well. And then people are like grateful for them. They feel yeah. like they're not just sort of like uh, a stupid person being talked to by a smart person uh, that, that, that actually like all of us are just trying to figure things out. And, and it's also like modeling good internet media literacy, which we, we need as much of as we can get. So yeah, I, in general, uh, I'm choosing things where I'm like, I think that I know a way to get at this question in a way that's weird. And sometimes it's just like, well, this one's not going to be that good, but I do need to make a TikTok right now. Because at this point, <laughs> I'm kind of a professional TikToker and I have an assistant who runs my TikTok and she texts me regularly and is like, here's the TikToks we have. What do you want to go up today? And uh, if that's like one TikTok, I start to get kind of sweaty. So, <laughs> <laughs> crank some of these out. And that pressure is actually really inspiring. It's like, well, I don't know how to make a good video about uh, battery-powered light bulbs, but I guess I will. Um, I guess kind of on that TikTok train, I'm, I I want to ask you a predictive question. Um, oh, sure, yeah. Please, I what do you about the internet? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, if you could guess what would be the most popular form of science communication five years from now? Do you think mm. it's like, what do you think it is? Do you think it's something that already exists, something that's new? We just don't know how to imagine it yet. What do you think? I think that the most popular form of science communication five years from now will probably, well, at, at the moment, I don't actually, I don't actually know the answer to that question today. Mm -hmm. What is it? True. It's probably YouTube videos. It's hmm. probably yeah. YouTube videos. And I, I would venture that it will be YouTube videos then as well. And the things that will have changed, I think that people will be watching TikToks on YouTube more then than they are now. Hmm. I think that, hmm. so TikToks, to, to do some like uh, internet media business inside baseball. Go for it. TikTok's got a, like any business you're looking at, like what what's their moat? Like what's the thing that's like prevents competitors from competing with them? And I think TikTok's is by, like TikTok's biggest moat by far is that it's cool and YouTube and Instagram aren't cool. And that's a bad moat because cool is fleeting and like MTV isn't cool anymore. And it was once and like Snapchat, I guess is kind of still cool, 
but YouTube isn't cool anymore. Like YouTube used to be so yeah. freaking cool. And YouTube is kind of boring now. It's just like media. It's just a this is like TV. And it does not have that like really cool spark of of cool that TikTok really definitely had a year or two ago and has less now, but still has a lot of. Now TikTok mm-hmm. has other moats, like just like transferring audience is a big one. So like creators will not want to switch if they're going from uh, you know, a million to zero. So that 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 is a thing. TikTok's video editor is also very good. And mm-hmm. uh and that's a that's a pretty big mode. And and you know, even Google money hasn't gotten YouTube as good as TikTok yet. But I think that's a solvable problem. But I think that TikTok's TikTok's moats are getting weaker and uh and, and I think that YouTube has some really big ones that are going to be really uh, attractive to creators. Hmm. But I don't know. Like it might be that these things just like should be niche and there should be like different groups of people on each one and you can make content for all of them. Anyway, I think the big thing that's going to be that that like is more different now that we're not paying attention to yet is streaming services that are specific to interests. And so Curiosity Stream is like a like a science and documentary specific streaming service. Nebula is like a science and informational streaming service that's built by and owned by YouTube creators. I think that that's really interesting. And I think that that's sort of the thing that's most new, that's least thought about. And mm-hmm. I think it's actually really interesting and and will probably be a lot more important five years from now than it currently is. Do you think that's because people will be like seeking out those niches or there's like, is there some other advantage to having the niches there? Yeah, I think that it's that when it used to be that Netflix was the everything streaming platform and now everything doesn't feel that good. Like I don't want everything. I want to open up and I want to see like 20 shows I want to watch, not it. Like I want to see 25 shows, 20 of which I want to watch, not 200 shows 20 of which i want to watch or 2000 or 20,000 i don't know how many shows netflix has or even like six shows five of which i want to watch uh and i'll and paying five dollars a month for that because like i only watch five shows on netflix i don't i watch less than that and i'm paying 19 dollars a month for it or whatever i think that there's like that that's just that seems to be the inevitable consequence of the internet is that stuff fractures and i think that yeah streaming will fracture and those platforms might be looking for weird cheap good stuff and when i say cheap i mean a lot more expensive than a youtube video but a lot cheaper than a netflix show which is a huge gap (laughs) which there is nothing there's nothing that takes that space up right now so that seems like a big hole to me this is making me think about how I just got a Peacock subscription because I was like, I need my Bravo shows. <laughs> I only got, yeah, I got that. Real I got that Discovery Plus, and people are like, Yeah, yeah, because you're a science guy. And I'm like, Yeah, because I'm a science guy. It's it's not rehab addict at all. It's not the Property Brothers. It's definitely the science stuff. <laughs> so, Hank, if Deboki and I told you right now that you had to delete all but one social media platform oh, so this is like youtube twitter <laughs> tiktok instagram anything to communicate science to the public which one would you choose 
And would you choose it because you like it or because you think it's most effective? Uh, I mean, it's extra easy because I think that I, I like YouTube the most and I think YouTube mm -hmm. is the most effective. And I think there's a lot of audience that you miss on YouTube. So that's not like, it's not going to not hurt. Um, the reason that this is hard is that my audience on YouTube is, I think, on Hank's channel where I put, which was like my TikTok channel, is like 70% male. And my audience on TikTok is 70% female. And it's mm -hmm. like, what's like, is that like a platform difference or is that? Like, is that an audience difference? Like the, the demographics of the platform are just different. Or is YouTube just worse at showing science content to people who enjoy it, but happen to not fit into what the algorithm thinks they want? Yeah, that's what I'm I'm curious about. Because I feel yeah. like I watch a ton of science content on YouTube and was even on a, a science YouTube series for two and a half years. And I still get fed a lot of stuff where I'm like, I don't want to see this, but it's very specifically like for a woman, I'm putting this in air quotes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I don't know where that's coming from, but. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I do not get content that is for women. And I get <laughs> like, it's, I mean, I, it's my YouTube channel is me and my brother share it. So it's like boxing, football and microscopes. It's just that's <laughs> I'm like, what? Who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> who, who YouTube thinks we are as one. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah. So, th so that's just like a, like it, 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 it feels like a problem that needs to, that YouTube needs to be, a, I know that they're aware of it. I've talked to them about it. Um, and, uh, and I know that the, the video algorithm affects the YouTube shorts algorithm. And I kind of wish it was just like siloed to sort of allow for other things to happen. And, and not be sort of influenced by the existing audience on YouTube. Because algorithms are, are built out of, like the only inputs they have are human decisions. They are, the structures they have are, you know, coded, but the inputs they have are you and me making choices. And, uh, and I think that uh, when you have an existing audience, it can kind of bias that algorithm really heavily to think that one kind of content is related to another kind of content when it's not. And I guess another thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about that is uh, the difference in the communities, like just comments wise, do you notice oh, a difference yeah. in communities on TikTok versus YouTube? Oh yeah. Especially on science stuff. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like TikTok science videos get comments more like what I'm used to on Vlogbrothers. Whereas mm -hmm. YouTube shorts science stuff gets comments more like what I'm used to on SciShow, which are just meaner, <laughs> like on mm -hmm. average. I'm not saying like the every comment is mean, but on, like the I'd say that SciShow comments are like 10% mean and Vlogbrothers and TikTok comments are like 3% mean. Hmm. Well, TikTok is probably 3% and Vlogbrothers is like 0.05% mean because who's finding Vlogbrothers from scratch <laughs> like it's not actually a big youtube channel it's just an important one <laughs> to me you'd be surprised i feel like sometimes youtube is like vintage vlog brothers <laughs> yeah yeah no they'll do that to me sometimes and i'll be like oh no <laughs> <laughs> i guess it's different when it's your own video <laughs> yeah they're like oh that's oh gosh i mean i it wasn't that long ago that my vocal affectation uh, was so different that I find it cringy. Hmm. How long ago? <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring up the clip. <laughs> I'm going to go back. 
<laughs> now I'm going to click around and be like, this you, is the one. This is yeah, what he's you talking won't, about. You won't have a hard time yeah. identifying me being <laughs> over, over the top trying to be a character. <laughs> so we talked about talking about science and different platforms online, but you also write fiction. Is there a way that you think about science in science fiction books that's different or even maybe even related to the way you think about science when you're trying to think of explaining it for an audience in a YouTube video and something educational? Yeah. I mean, the thing about books and and novels in particular is that you have so much time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on Vlogbrothers, which is the majority of the videos I've ever made. Um we have a four minute time limit and that means just really cramming it in <laughs> and TikTok is the same. It, like, I feel like I trained my whole internet career for TikTok because TikTok has a one minute and then eventually three minute time limit. And so I'm just good at that. Like I, I know how to do that, but with a novel, like the, the majority of the thing that you're trying to do is, well, this is how I feel. Majority of it is is character and plot. Like you want the people to care about these people. You want to care about these people. You want them to care about each other. You want them to hate each other or love each other or whatever. And you want them to be in the situations that are that are tense and meaningful. And and then I think that theme is very important, but does take a little bit of a backseat to those things. And you know, like that that's kind of like what I'm trying to say. And you know, with the first two books I wrote, which are the only ones that are out that gets pretty on the page because the main character is a internet creator. And so she says <laughs> stuff to her audience and you know, that wasn't, you know, the, the science fiction that I have written so far is not re really about science. It's more speculative kind of like it's a different future. The second book I did get to do some science in it, uh, which is very good. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, you know, majority of what I'm trying to say is is things about our society as it exists now, and and about the impact that a communications revolution has on a society. And we've not been through that many of those. Like there was writing. I mean, well, the first one was speech, so which was mm -hmm. slow but like important and pretty revolutionary. Everybody talks. I don't. I haven't talked to enough like uh, people who study prehistoric people yet about this but i've gotten really caught up in the idea that the majority of innovation in human history has been language we don't have a grasp on that at all because it's all lost but it it just mm. feels like such a important unique thing like the bandwidth of of the tongue and i often hear uh kind of people I don't love saying like, we spent 200,000 years with the same technologies and then something happened. There was a spark. And I'm like, actually, probably it was pretty different, you know, at least <laughs> yeah. like millennia to millennia, probably generation to generation. Like I bet stuff was changing that whole time and yeah. you just can't see it very well. But anyway, I, it's hard to have perspective on millennia. <laughs> Yeah, especially to history that's entirely lost and that we know through like t 12 uh, archaeological sites on Earth. <laughs> yeah. um, so the number of communications revolutions that, that our species has been through is relatively small. And, you know, you got, you got the printing press and you got radio and TV and you got, got you know, the sort of many to many thing that we're doing now. And I think 
that we're bad at it. And I think that we need to think about it a lot to get better at it. But we don't think about thinking about it. We just kind of do it. And mm-hmm. that's been the cause of some problems. And so I, I more wanted to write about that, which is uh, amateur sociology more than anything. That's really interesting. So, Hank, you're a very busy person. We don't want to keep you too long. Yeah, I do um, have some uh, tweets about uh, <laughs> giant butternut squashes that I need to get to. Okay, okay. No, that sounds very important. So, um, This is what the communication revolution was about. Yes. <laughs> butternut squash tweets. I guess my final question for you is, you are now kind of, a lot of people's Neil Gaiman, right? <laughs> um, like yeah. you started off with this story about standing in line, waiting for him to sign a book for you. And then when he talked about a Vlogbrothers video, it was like, that was a moment where you felt like, oh, this feels like success. This is a taste of success. So when you look back, what is something that you are proud of? Or maybe what are you most proud of? Great question. Um, I, I really do think that... And this is like a lesson that I need to learn. Um, But I think that I'm most proud of the times when I helped other people and not just like I help you learn science, but like times when I've been able to help people with their careers, give people some insight that they needed or a connection that they needed or an opportunity that they needed. And, you know, I don't really think about like, I I don't think about hiring that way because like, that's not, that's not the mindset I can be in. But I do think about that when I'm seeing new talent like just amazing people who are you know know more and are better than me uh and i like there is an instinct to be protective of you know the 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 sort of like gathered uh influence you know like that like you don't you don't get a bunch of followers on Twitter and, and TikTok without being a little bit am- ambitious and um, interested in gathering influence, you know, like, well, we're, let's be honest about me. Um, <laughs> but that's not really the thing that feels good. And that is not really the thing that I'm proud of. The thing that I'm proud of is seeing people whose, whose careers, um, you know, s- like started off with a, like some help and that are grateful to me for that help. For many years, we've taken the half of the advertising revenue from Vlogbrothers and given it to small educational creators, like sort of new educational creators. As a, so a kind of wild number of those people now have more than a million subscribers on YouTube. And and like, I don't think that the like $5,000 that we gave them that year is the thing that did it, you know, but it helped. And, uh, and, and I would like to do more stuff like that. And I sort of like to see my future be more like that because it's actually the thing that makes me feel good. Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for for being here with us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, Hank. Is there anything that you feel like we didn't ask you that you feel like I just I have to mention it? I got to say it. <laughs> I have I have no idea. Um, it's so funny when you're in question answering mode and someone asks you to have a th- a, a thought that's not related to a previous thought. You're like, oh, literally, my head is empty. <laughs> Like I'm not like currently I am not a being that exists. I'm just sort of a, a, an AI fact machine that responds, uh, but cannot, cannot uh, act without, without uh, some input. I have no idea. Well, maybe that means we 
kind of sort of did our job. So I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Hank. This was really fun. It's nice to, I don't know if I can say meet you, but like see you and, and talk with you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I hope we get to meet in the real world soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Tiny Matters, a production of the American Chemical Society, a nonprofit scientific organization based in Washington, D.C. Thanks so much to Hank Green for joining us today. If you have thoughts, questions, ideas about future Tiny Matters episodes, send us an email at tinymatters@acs.org. You can find me on Twitter at okidoki underscore boki and Instagram at okidokiboki. And you can find me on social at Sam J Science. See you next time.